thank you all for being here. Um, my name is uh, Stephen Walker, and I will be pinch hitting for the senior pastor, Jeff Kreider, this morning. Um, as I thought about this, I had an experience, and I was thinking, well, maybe pinch hitting might be an overstatement. Um, a couple of weeks, about a month ago, uh, Nathan Strickland, the youth minister, he asked if I will teach the youth while he was out on retreat because someone was going to stay behind. And I said, yeah, that, that's a great opportunity for me to get to know them a little bit better and connect with them. And um, I thought it went okay. You know, I thought it went okay. <clears throat> so the next day, uh, Nathan said, wow, thank you. I was kind of in a, in a pickle. I had asked six other people. They all had previously engaged me. They couldn't do it. So I'm thinking, okay, seventh string, right? So, so pinch hitters typically are on the bench, right? So seventh string is, where is that? A ball, maybe? <laughs> but we're, we're going to make the best of our time together this morning. So let, let us start with the prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning. Thank you for the privilege of standing before this group of people that you brought to this place at this time. And Father, um, we pray that the spirit, the things that, that I say will be guided by the spirit, Father, that we, uh, that we respond in a way that pleases you. And as a matter of fact, you said, um, those who love you keep your commandments. So if we hear commandments today, we want to keep them. Father, help us to be ready to do exactly what we hear and respond in a way that uh, will allow us to grow and continue to be who we say we are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see. Well, the video. As they were responding, I can really relate to um, both those who are not really in a relationship with Christ and how they see him and those who are in a relationship with Christ. I thought it was uh, pretty telling. Um, I wanna ask you, if someone asked you who is Jesus, you, how would you respond? Let's take a minute and think about that. How would you respond to that question? Uh, would you respond in a way that, um, like he said, I am the way, I'm the truth and the life, would that be the way you would respond? Or would you respond in a way that you describe him as your savior? And talk about him in that terms, or describe him as your Lord. And um, I, th I think I think we need to have an answer. You know, I think we need to have an answer. Uh, I want to just maybe take a few minutes today and talk about um, cause and effect. And um, let me get my notes here. Look like there we go. And I want to use that tool to help us flush some information out, right? And basically what cause and effect is, it's a way of assessing a problem, identifying what causes that problem, and maybe creating some solutions. And it's, it's not a fail-proof method by any means. There are some challenges with it because the effect is pretty obvious for most people. You can see what's happening with the effect. Now, now the causes sometimes are, are a little less obvious, but you can probably get your arms wrapped around them. But what really caused some debate is what are the solutions? And that, that's where you, know, you might have some difference of, of opinion. I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Uh, there was this couple, they started dating, and things progressed, got 
very serious, right? And so they realize, hey, we want to make a commitment to each other. We want to get married. And so they start talking about their future together. Um, I don't know about you. I didn't do that as well as I should have. I was making it up as I went along as we got married, but I wish I would have thought a little bit more about that. So they start talking about, um, all right, uh, how are we going to handle our finances, those kind of things. Um, um, our careers, you know, these, these are the careers that we're going to see ourselves in. And, and what about our family? And they decide, okay, let's have three children. And so they said, okay, that, that's, that works for us. And so things were going well. Married, three children, you know, things are going well. Then the wife comes to the husband and said, honey, I think I'm expecting. They're very excited, but their life was built around these three children, house size, car, and all that comes around three children. So they, they, they got to get ready for this fourth child. So they, they're excited about that. And now they realize whatever methods they were using, you know, in terms of birth control wasn't working, right? And so, so um, the, um, so, so they said, okay, we got to figure something out. Now here, cause and effect, right? The effect, we can, you know, mama's getting, baby's coming, right? And we know what caused it. So now I got to figure out a better solution, uh, a better solution on how, how to handle it in the future. And so, you know how we guys are sometimes. Oh, we got these bright ideas. Okay, so he goes to his wife and says, honey, look, why are you in the labor room? Just have them to tie your tubes and, you know, that would be great. And, and the wife says, well, I was thinking maybe you would have a vasectomy. So sometimes the solutions are a little more grayer how you figure those things out. I just want to ask for a little bit of latitude in, in how, uh, when we get to the solution, realizing that there's probably more solutions to this effect than what I'm going to propose this morning. So we'll get to the third slide. I think it, there we go. So <clears throat> this, the colored slide is Christianity today. Well, actually from 1900 to the first of the 20th century, all the way up to 2013. As you, there's two pieces of information I wanted to look at. First, you can see how Christianity has grown, right? Those who were converted later and those who were Christians by birth, meaning that if you were born in a Christian family and you never strayed away, uh, you continue in your faith through your adult. And so that's Christian by birth. And so you can see how that has grown. That's one observation. But the other observation is that Christians as a percentage of the total population worldwide is shrinking a little bit, right? So... Then you look at the slide of the United States. And now, a couple of things I want to observe here is that you got that bump right there in the 1960s, 70s, you know, through the 80s. Those were my formative years as a Christian. Uh, when I be became maturing as a Christian, it was those kind of things were happening. But as you look now, you see that slope, is, it's pretty exaggerated as we are going along. And um, so that's the effect. There's some declining things that are happening. As a matter of fact, in 2019, there were 3,000 churches that opened up their doors, but 4,500 closed their doors. 
that ratio is not really sustainable. But there's places in the, in the world where Christianity is growing, obviously, by that. And those places are Africa and Asia. The Christian, Christian, Christianity is growing there. Um, now, Allie Gasker is dealing with this world problem. That's where she's focused, and thank God for that. But God has given us this footprint where we are today in our lives, our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers. That's what God has called us to. And <clears throat> as I look around, I can see, it hurts me to say it, but I can see the decline here, at, even right here in our midst. And, and I, I remember <clears throat> when we first started talking about this as a leadership, it must have been 2016, 2017 in that area. Um, Jeff brought some data to, to the elders. And at that time, we were looking at data on how difficult it is to find a senior pastor because people, men and women, are not going into the ministry as, as they did in the past. And so it's very difficult to find uh, a senior pastor. And so... Um, I remember thinking, we was having that discussion at the time, I was remember thinking, feeling, wow, thank you, Jesus, for insulating us from some of these trends that were going on. And we were like an outlier. I mean, all these things were happening in, in, the, in our you know, fellowship, and we were like this outlier. Well, guess what? No longer an outlier. I wanted to do causes specific to what, for us here, you know, the, the effect is the decline, but what has caused that? And, and there's a few things, and you might have a few other things that are on your radar, but I'm going to go through a couple on, that I want to discuss here. The passing of Jeff Earnhardt was tough. He was an amazing man that served a lot of people, and we still have not really recovered totally from that. And then um, issues with our staffing making decisions. McKaylee was did a bang up job with our with our youth, and she just felt that you know at this time in life she felt that she needed to go some call move on, and so she decided to move on. Jeannie um, felt like okay, it was time for her to go back to a previous profession and teach at a university. The Picker family um, feel like God is calling them somewhere now. And so these are blows. I mean, these, these things uh, contributed to what we're experiencing right now. Then the pandemic. It really wasn't the pandemic that made the church sick. It was how we responded to the pandemic that made the church sick. And some use that as an opportunity, as an off-ramp, not to return or even participate when we're online. And so we're feeling the effects of that. And that's one way the pandemic has impacted us. Um, then aging and illness. And in particular, I think about Connie Smith, Jan Patrick, Alice Furry, and Sarah Hennigan. Those are people that are not really with us right now. And then leadership. We had some missteps. We, you know, there are times where we miscommunicated or um, 
I believe we, some, we lost some trust, you know, um, and how we are navigating all of these, you know, this, this new landscape, you know, that's it's how, you know, this, this decline and what, and all these things I just previously mentioned, how we're navigating all of that. It's, um, it's been challenging, been challenging. And we've lost several other very influential people for different reasons. Mostly they move like Wole and Bose, Lane and Kim, all of these things. And guess what? In, in like a three year period, you know, all of these things has happened. And understandably, there's people that looked around and, and said, who stole my church? And this is not the church that I'm familiar with. And some of those have decided to move on as well. And then the adversary. The word that I like is muddling, M-U-D-D-L-I-N-G. It's the action or process of bringing something into disorder or confusing state. All these things are going on. When they start healing, you know the adversary just pick at that scab just to make it a little bit worse, a little bit worse. And as I was going through this, you know, I, I never was a, a boxer, like a professional boxer, but when I was younger, I used to watch boxing matches and it just made me think about you know, having an opponent that's constantly attacking the body, constantly attacking the body. And as soon as you try to defend one area, that opponent come at the other. And so that's what we've been dealing with. And like I said, when we get to the solution, ask for a little latitude there. So fourth slide, uh, the next slide, there we go. So Carson Reed, Mary Allen's son, Dr. Reed, um, very gifted guy. His, uh, he's a, I think he's the dean of uh, graduate theology at Abilene Christian, and he also has a passion for helping churches through uh, challenging times and ministry search. He, um, he shared this with us, these three Bs. Now, a, there's a certain order that a thriving church will live these three Bs out. How would you think, what order? Order these in some kind of way. When someone comes in and you want to take them through the process of developing a relationship with Christ, what order in your mind would you kind of set those up? Just take a moment and think about that. He says, thriving churches first make sure the person belongs. And once they belong, you get them in, belong, then you help them through the process of belief and behavior. And Scott McConnell, he's an executive director of, of Lifeway Research, and um, they, they do a lot for you know, helping churches, providing data and research. He wrote, the younger generation just doesn't feel like they're being accepted in a church environment or some of their choices aren't being accepted. 
yes, we are living in a changing world from when, when I grew up in, in terms of my spiritual uh, maturity. It's changed quite a bit. And people in my generation might hear him say, man, I wish we can go back to those days again. And, but those days are, are, were then and, and here we are now. Um, I'm going to slide number five, I think. There we go. Thank you. There's, there's um, Michael Green wrote a book titled Evangelism in the Early Church. And the premise of the book is that the principles that the early church used for evangelism, now we're at the solution, right? So we know the effect is we're declining. We saw some of the causes and we're saying, okay, you know, maybe the solution is evangelism. Now, when I was going through, I even struggled a little bit of where to come here. So, you know, you know where to come down here. So I was like, okay, something that we're doing pretty well now, let's just get better at that thing. And that's connecting and building relationships. And that, that's more of a stabilizing force. You know, that's an important thing to have, the connections and those relationships. And, and um, those are even difficult to maintain because people come into relationships with different expectations and that makes it sometimes very difficult to really, you know, force through on relationships. So that that's very difficult sometimes. So so I said, well, we still need to do that. We really still need to continue to do that because that is one of the strengths here is that we we work hard to connect with one another. We work hard to build these relationships. Well, I felt so much love this morning just walking through the doors. You know, people knew that I was going to be doing this this morning. And, and I, you know, I had a number of people that encouraged me, so I appreciate that so much. But um, Michael Green, his premise is that let's look at the lessons of evangelism from the early churches and see what we can learn there. He said their world was very different from ours. The differences are very real, but we cannot fail to profit from reflecting on the ways in which the, this tiny band of men and women in a French providence of the four-flung Roman Empire became a world faith within a few generations. So there's three bedrock principles that he, that he, he focused on. And we'll go to slide number, next one. Thank you. And it's this whole idea of them being confident in the message that they were bringing to the Jews and the Gentiles. That's, that right there, uh, a message to a Jew is extremely challenging, especially when you start looking at these principles, these bedrock principles that, that he um, said were critical and they're uncompromisable if you continue, want to continue to help people develop that relationship with Christ. And the first one is incarnation of Christ, that Jesus and God are one. Because they are one, when Jesus took on human form, God put on human flesh. Then John 1, 14 said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I can't imagine how difficult that was for a Jew to believe that. But they did. They did. Then he said the second thing is the need for atonement, right? God has provided a way for humankind to come back into a harmonious relationship with him. Well, first must be established is that we're not in a harmonious relationship with him and apart from God we can't be in a harmonious relationship and Jesus is the way back. Isaiah 53 5 said but 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. And by his wounds, we are healed. And then the third thing is the resurrection. That has to be a part of our message, the resurrection. It's the belief in God is no longer, or belief that Jesus is no longer in the grave. He has risen. Acts 13 said, 34 said, God raised him from the dead so that he would never be subject to decay. So you think about the incarnation informed people, he understands his creation because he lived among us. The atonement let us know we have a need for a savior and the resurrection demonstrate he has the power to fulfill his promises. The other thing he said is motivation and passion. And I want to just go through a few things that how motivated and passionate the early evangelists were. Uh, Paul, for the fake, was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified right side up because that's the way the Lord died. In North America, Philip uh, was teaching a Roman proconsul's wife about Jesus, and he retaliated by putting Philip to death. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, James, the son of Ephesus, was, was clubbed and stoned to death. Simon the Zealot was killed because he would not worship a sun god. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to die for your faith or get clubbed for your faith. I'm not suggesting that, but, but there's need to be some motivation for us to share our faith. And I, I think there's some really um, obvious ones. The first is the first century evangelists were willing to die for the gospel. Be, because they were willing to die for the gospel, we are free to worship today, here today. Without their sacrifices, we would not be here today. We've all heard the expression, freedom is not free. It wasn't and it still isn't. We were commanded to do so. The Great Commission said, go and make disciples. Pretty simple there. And as a Christian, we understand the consequences of someone outside of a relationship with Christ. We know that our family, friends, and neighbors you know, we know the consequences of them getting called home or, I don't know, home, being called to, you know, to, to the next life without a relationship with Christ. And finally, I think we, there are some methods that, um, I think Philip the, the, with the Ethiopian eunuch taught us just to serve as we go, right? He saw the, the eunuch, he got off, stopped, they studied. And he, and he taught him the gospel, but he started right where the eunuch was and brought him to baptism. And I think there's a lot of examples, because I'm sure people said, I really want, I know I'm called to do this, but I'm having trouble really taking those next steps. And I think some of us maybe have suppressed this need to be evangelists. Right? We all call to do that. that. That's the word we don't hear a whole lot anymore, even hard for me to say it, but right, we are called to do just that. And I think the Bible gave us examples like find a partner. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Silas, 
The 72, Jesus sent them out two by two. Then there's, you know, that period of time that I pointed out early. This church has quite the legacy of effective evangelists like Ryan Howard, Keith Hodges, Stanley Shipp, Earl Keller, and Carrie Guerin and Darlene Newell studied with my wife. And Carrie, I don't know if she's here today, but she studied with my wife. So, and then there was the legendary Mary Essence and Canary Dickerson. I want to ask my wife to come and talk about her mother, Canary Dickerson, for a minute. <laughs> the legendary. Okay. I tell you, when I think about my mother, she really just, all that she taught us about serving and loving people, she, I think it was part of a legacy that her mom had taught her. Her mom would just go out and speak to anybody, you know, alcoholics on the street or whoever. But, but mom, when Paulette introduced us to McKnight, she changed our lives. Although we had gone to church, we were in a Methodist church. I remember lined up in the church and, and, and on a pew because it was 11 of us. And, and my mom would sit on one end, my dad would sit on the other. But there was something about what she learned after, she re after we really start coming to McKnight. And, and then when we went to Mick County, and she met Mary. They became partners of the gospel. And they would go out and they would have Bible studies and they would baptize people. But in my house, you see, when I came home, I didn't know who might be there sitting down for dinner because my mom would have brought them from, she saw them on the bus stop or something. And then, even when the church was not open, she would baptize people in the galvanized pool in our backyard because she really believed that it was important for people to know God. And she says, no matter who you are, where you are, she even baptized somebody that was 103 years old. Everybody needs to know God, and that was her premise. So. It, it was all about serving, and but it was all about helping people to understand who God was, and I think that's our goal. And so, as she, I, I just so appreciate her for that. Amen. Thank you, honey. Um, I think the other thing that to talk about real briefly with how God honors when you're obedient, her legacy, her lineage is still you know, very prominent. Two of her grandsons are studying theology. She raised three daughters that eventually became elders' wives. All, all women don't want to be an elder's wife, right? I'm be honest. But the three daughters that are wives of elders. And so all, I'm connecting all of that back to her mother's willingness to be obedient and, and evangelize and, and serve and, and um, and share her story. The final 
slide that we want to do is uh, we know it's, it's obvious what the effect has been, right? And we went through some of the causes and we're saying that let's get busy. Remember, this is a call to action. Let's get busy sharing our faith with our family, friends, and our community and letting them know the good news of Christ, right? Ultimately, this is gonna be successful. God's not gonna let his church not be victorious. But he's called us to be a part of that, just like he called the first century Christians to be a part of it. So we have a role to play in it, and so he's called us to do just that. And so um, I, I wanted to leave you with this because I think this is very grounding and reassuring from Jeremiah, where it says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the streams. That's how it's being fed and nurtured. It does not fear when the heat comes because we are being nurtured by the, you know, the goodness of God. It leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought because of him and never fails to bear fruit. Amen.